we're into February. So Ohio State men's basketball got out of January. January did not. Uh, so now things are looking up. Exactly. No, nothing but rosy skies right. now that the long night for Chris Holtman has finally <laughs> ended. Yeah, right? it wasn't. It wasn't like uh, you know, just it didn't just circle back around after January thirty first and went right uh, into February as opposed back to January. So. This long national nightmare is over, and now they'll be good. Holtman has emerged from his hole in the ground and has seen his shadow. <laughs> Huxatani Holtman uh, has uh, six more weeks of road <laughs> losses. Uh, but fifteen in a row is a lot of road losses in a row, and that's that's where Ohio State men's basketball is out. Um, they were in it to win it for a minute. They, you know. It was a close game, at least. They lost 79-77 to Iowa. Um, they're going to do, you know, kind of this you know, slap fight against Indiana here coming up. Who cares? Like, I have no idea what that's going to – first of all, I have no confidence in Ohio State winning any games at this point. But uh, more specifically, who cares? <laughs> I think, And I think that's the problem, right? Like, that's the biggest problem. It's not so much that I'm like – oh, Ohio State men's basketball might lose a bunch of games and we'd really be angry about it. Or Ohio State men's basketball might turn it around and we'd be really excited. It's more, I don't care what they do on a game-to-game basis right now. And that's a huge problem because I really think that I'm not alone in that. And it's not, look, like when people say stuff like that, it's like, oh, you can't say that about the players. You know, they're working their butts off. It's nothing to do with them. And I, I don't think they're out there just lollygagging or, you know, embarrassing the university. You said I took it too far last week when I said Holtman lost the team after he called them soft and then they got blown out by well, Northwestern. I think it's I think it's wrong to put the onus for this failure on the players because I think there's a lot of really good players. I, I, I don't blame the players for the – I mean, because you just outlined right. it. You, you said it's hard for people to care. How do you think the people listening to the guy calling them soft yeah. – are, are taking and that's it. not a, it's mean, reflected in their play right. and, and I, I don't blame them at all it's funny too because um you know i heard <laughs> we actually heard something very similar from another big 10 coach recently do you know who i'm talking about george no who's that would that? be one john howard up there in ann arbor who <laughs> who basically you think i listen to anything that guy well, says apparently his players don't either because he said that the team's basically given up and uh, he essentially said that, you know, along the same lines of what Holtman said, that they're soft. They're not, you know, they, they don't want to play basketball. I'd rather play with the JV guy, blah, blah, blah. They're afraid to get punched in the face. <laughs> That's right. I don't want to be around people who, who two for flinching. To Jawan, two for flinching hour. Um, it's because I care too much. That's right. Uh, or at least more than my own players. That's right. So, like, what I said, I think, still applies. Where if that's your coaching go-to move, you're officially out of ideas. And, um, you know, I don't, like I said, it, my larger point with all of this is that Ohio State men's basketball just is not generating the kind of attention, uh, interest that it really needs to. And, um, you know, beating Indiana, that'd be great. Beating, <laughs> beating a team on the road in the Big Ten for the first time in like 15 games that would be better but ultimately they have to like win out uh i think to generate the kind of attraction or interest that they really need to which i i you know obviously isn't going to happen so on the plus side 
as we keep emphasizing, and I, I'm not doing this just as a joke. I, people really should be paying attention to the men's, or excuse me, the women's basketball team. Uh, they're fun to watch, and they win games, and they're a top ten team. And I watched the uh, the Indiana game that they played against number ten Indiana, back and forth game, interesting. Uh, Ohio State uh, had to hang on there the fourth quarter for the win. Uh, making key shots, you know, down the down the stretch there. That's that's a team that's fun to watch. That's a team with like a lot of mental fortitude and a lot of grit and good coaching. People want to watch basketball in Central Ohio. They want to watch college basketball in Central Ohio. There is a college basketball team that is giving you uh, elite talent, interesting games, the prospect of doing well in the tournament. And that's the women's basketball team. And you need to be paying attention to them because uh, they've got a lot of really fun players. Um, they're, you know, <laughs> they're, people are going to the games, right? Um, over 10,000 people showed up for the game against Indiana, which, I mean, you're going to get some, you know, boostage from the Indiana uh, fans. But in general, like, they're right up there with men's basketball in terms of attendance. So I think people need to keep that up and, um, yeah, check it out. Because that's, that's some yeah, it, it it doesn't necessarily surprise me that we've kind of seen as as one as one empire falls and other rises. <laughs> um, I, I think that there's probably an effect of, you know, there there might be some FOMO for people on campus that didn't uh, link up with the team prior to them hosting Iowa and Caitlin Clark, and as that star continues to rise, you know, having the being able to say that you were there with one of the 18,000 to see the the upset and how Ohio state has since springboarded into the top 10 from that. And their, their profile as a, a national women's basketball brand continues to rise. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I even, I remember after I, and I've made this point multiple times this season. One of the things that I was grateful for the men's team was their victory over Alabama at the beginning of the year, back when Alabama was still, um, if not projected to be great, at least still carrying some of the the resonated success from the previous season in terms of their own brand and feeling good about Ohio State getting that that win, that feather in their cap early on. And that was the same day that the football team lost to Michigan. So having it was nice for me as a as a Ohio State sports fan to be able to pivot into that emotionally, and I think that you're seeing a similar effect here now as the the decrescendo of the men's basketball team continues to take the shape. Denouement. You're seeing, yeah, the rise of the the women's basketball program as their success continues to mount. Right. I mean, Indiana was you know ranked tenth a couple spots behind Ohio State, so this is now what their their second ranked win over a top 10 team at home in as many mm-hmm. weeks you want to see those you want to say that you were a part of that particularly you know if you're a student attending these games or attending the university this is a good way or at least a better way to spend your uh <clears throat> the waning days of winter going into the spring you know, you want to be attached to success. Right. It's just like a natural thing. And particularly for a lot of students that come here for, you know, the experience of supporting the sports teams. And, you know, that normally gets tapped with football. But I, I remember it was the same case with basketball even back when I was a oh, student. Sure. So it's, you know, there. I, I as you're seeing, 
you know, the, the writing kind of being on the wall, as we've alluded to with the men's basketball team, I think you're going to gradually see more and more of that support trickle into the women's team as they uh, try to make a run for some postseason glory here. It looks like they're going to be in a pretty good spot to do yeah. that. Now, what is interesting is that I, I should note that I, I think it, it wasn't always like set in stone. I think that the team was going to be this good this season. They did lose to USC and UCLA in non-conference play. I know that'll be, you know, technically conference play soon enough. But at least for this season, uh, when they were, you know, not into the Big Ten portion of their schedule yet, uh, they had been losing to some of their uh, more established opponents. But to their credit, you know, we're in February now, and they've clearly turned things around relative to, you know, getting their chemistry together. J.C. Sheldon's still a lot of fun to watch, and uh, I, you know, I think somebody made the joke. Uh, it might have been because uh, oh, forgive me, because I'm I'm going to botch her name, but Rebecca might be taking uh, more shots than anyone else. Probably isn't a winning formula. <laughs> I think Andy made that joke while the game was happening, but you know, as they uh, their chemistry at this point is certainly better than it was earlier in the season. And based on the, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a run, but based on some of the postseason success they had last year, you would think that that experience is going to serve them well as they prepare to uh, make a bit of a postseason bid uh, this season. So it's unfortunate we're not going to get to see two Ohio State basketball teams in the NCAA tournament. Although then again, if you consider the the Butler Bulldogs, uh, Ohio State light team because of Thad Mata by association, you might get two just That's yet. That's definitely secondary rooting interest uh, for me at this point because I, I want to see Thad uh, get to like you know the Sweet Sixteen before. I mean the the <laughs> irony of Ohio State hiring Butler's coach to replace Thad, right. and then Thad going like. Basically, that trade taking place, and then here we are. I don't know. I don't know how many years that has been there at this point. I know he didn't immediately get there after Holtman left. At least I, I think that's. Think, I think this is only like his second season there. I don't think he's yeah. been there very long. But the idea of like Thad getting to the, like the Sweet Sixteen uh, in like year two or three with Butler before Ohio State under Holtman can. Well, that I mean, it remains to be seen if they win any tournament. No, no, no. I but think you know just making the tournament alone right. this season is funny. But my goodness, I mean, the jokes if he makes the Sweet Sixteen and Holtman does not. Yeah, that, Holy cow! Incredible. And you know, I'm a huge Thad fan. I mean, I I, I a long time ago when Thad Mata, um, I mean, he had been at Ohio State for a while at this point, but he was doing a, a speaking thing at. Um, uh, this charity event, uh, the Middletown. I don't know if they still do anymore, but Middletown High School did. And I went there to report on it for the Warriors. And the guy is just instantly magnetic, uh, fun as hell to listen to, really funny, personable guy. Uh, it was He was speaking at this thing. It was him, Urban Meyer, and Luke Fickle. <laughs> and the, the hilarious part was, is like everybody was there to see Urban Meyer and Luke Fickle because Urban Meyer had just been hired as the, uh, the uh, football coach. And... Um, Neither of those guys were worth listening to. Thad Mata, though, was worth the admission alone. And I'm not surprised that he's having success. He's a personable guy. He's a great basketball coach. I mean, the reason why I think a lot of people, you know, would acknowledge that he didn't do so well in his last years at Ohio State was because physically he just could not do the job. But obviously he's he's rebounded. His health is, is a lot better. And that's 
you know, great to hear. So yeah, definitely. And Greg, and Greg Oden is still an assistant, I believe, for Butler oh, well, too. Hell yeah. he? Well, I don't know if he is, then that just doubles down. I know he came. I know he came on at the same time Thad did. I hope he's still I there because that would rule. Um, I thought Diebler was out there helping too. I can't remember, but regardless, uh, I'm I'm hoping that uh, the Butler Bulldogs kick some butt. Let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's talk about things that we're we're happy about happening, which is. First of all, the question I have to ask you, George, all right, at the, and this is after uh, Ohio State just got a commit from 25, uh, 2025, uh, number one ranked corner in the country, right? And this is after getting the second ranked cornerback in the country, Devin Sanchez. Name offered is now uh, committed to Ohio State. Offered. Yeah. And committed. Offered and committed. And so here's the deal. This is the question, Okay. Is Tim Walton now officially the best recruiter on Ohio State staff? Because he, it's, it's it's close. close. I but the thing is, the re, there's so much recency bias that is going to make people say Walton. But I mean, can can we appreciate the stupid run that Heartline has been on and is still? Oh sure, on? yeah. It's not like he. I mean. Did you hear what uh, Will Howard gassing up? I don't want to say gassing up because I'm sure he deserves it. But I mean, Will Howard was flabbergasted in awe of Jeremiah Smith at his like first practice well, at Ohio State. And I'm sure you go from Kansas State to, say, to you know, Columbus. Will like a dude. The, the talent's a little bit Will different. Will Howard's like a dude walking from like a Denny's to like, you know, like a, like a, a Michelin starred restaurant. A Waffle House. Yeah. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like, this is a guy who is, yes. has not had the talent he's like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute you have wide receivers who can catch footballs like that's and so well he called him an athletic specimen yes. but my but my point is that's the number one guy in the class and it feels like heartline at this point it, it like every receiver even if they're not like the guy mm-hmm. in their class he's he's either getting the number one guy or he's getting a prospect that people will look at immediately and say, oh, if that guy is under Heartline and in Ryan Day's system, he's probably going to be a first-round pick. Right. It's just kind of baked into the cake at this point. Marvin Harrison Jr. was a four-star prospect coming mm-hmm. out. He was not, you know, Kyle McCord was the five-star guy between the two Pennsylvania guys coming out of that, uh, coming out of high school to Ohio State. So, even with names like that, where now we're looking at Harrison as a potential top three pick, the, it, the assumption there is that Heartline is going to get the most out of these guys, regardless of you know where their recruiting is, which isn't necessarily something Ohio State is in control of in terms of their national profile. Well, yeah, I mean, before they get to Columbus, right, they're not going to pick like so, three star guys just to like prove that Heartline's kick ass, right? <laughs> right, and, and we've seen like we and we've seen a lot of cla- and this, this is the other thing too. How many how many receivers, high talent guys have? agreed to come here and then had to just immediately leave because the, the receivers room, there's just too much talent. So we haven't necessarily seen Walton overstuff the, the DB room yet. yet. There's been enough opportunity for everybody. So time will tell if everyone sticks around, but I still lean Heartline as the best guy just because not only is he getting the highest level guys, but he's cramming the room enough to the point that, these high level guys have to go elsewhere mm-hmm. after a year or two, like Mookie Cooper going to Mizzou, because 
there's just too many mouths to right. feed. Well, let's go ahead and make the case, at least for Tim Walton. And and uh, earlier... You can make the case for Tim Walton. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know that I necessarily am going to take a side on this, but I will say that Garrick put together... Oh, you're just going to put me on the spot with the question? Yeah. That's that's right. Uh but Garrick Garrick Hodge, uh our very own Garrick Hodge put together a, a nice little um article and he, he talked about basically the twenty three, twenty four, and twenty five um cornerbacks, just the cornerbacks, right? We're not even talking like DBs and just, just cornerbacks. So in twenty twenty three, two four stars and Jermaine Matthews and Calvin Simpson Simpson Hunt. Um number fifty one overall, number sixty two overall. I'm like, okay, those are really good prospects. Pretty happy about that. 2024, 20, all right, five-star and Aaron Scott, number 34 overall nationally. Four-star uh, Bryce West, number 58 overall. So well, right now, so 23-24, you've got four top 100 guys, uh, all of them top 10 cornerbacks in their class, uh, two of them top five cornerbacks. In 2025, right, next year, you've got Naeem Offord, number five overall in the country, number one cornerback. You've got Devin Sanchez, number six overall, and number two cornerback in the country. And then Blake would be number 76 overall and number 10 cornerback in the class. That is a lot of dudes. And they're all cornerbacks. Will they all stay cornerbacks? I don't know. But that's a lot of cornerbacks uh, for a position that only has two on the field at a time. So okay. we'll see what happens. Now, well, that's, that's a nice little sample yeah, size. Now, but we, we know Heartline's been doing it year over right. year. And so, so. I, I would actually tend to agree with you that I think body of work-wise, you got to lean Heartline at least. But that's that's a lie. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. I acknowledge it's a conversation. that. I just lean Heartline. And I, I think it's just really, like Tim Walton is out there absolutely killing it. Now, overall, I think is really what the story is. I mean, the 2025 class right now, you got a couple three-star guys. But I got to tell you something. Uh First of all, one of them's a wide receiver. There's no way in hell he stays a three-star. Um, that's Boggs out of Florida. But you've got two five-stars already. Um, you've got, uh, you know, St. Clair out of Bell Fountain. Um, you got Carlo out of Toledo. So you're building up through Ohio. There's already like three Ohio guys, which you like to see. But they their class right now, they've got five top 100 dudes right now. In the 2025 class, five percent of the top 100 out of seven commits. Which, yeah, five percent of the top 100. Very good. <laughs> that's that's good math, George. Um, I did, I had to do it in my head. I was like, wait a minute. That's why that I right? went to Ohio that's State. Right. Uh, um, but anyway, my point is in general that this is just some wild recruiting stuff, and I think a lot of people kind of looked at what Ohio State did in the off season through NIL. I was like, oh, that's not sustainable. No way in hell. That's that's a one-off thing, you know. They're not going to be able to keep doing what they're doing. You can't just you don't have infinite money. And I'm like, watch Ohio State prove you wrong. <laughs> yes, Ohio State is infinite money, and uh, there. I think I think honestly, um, you know, Michigan winning the national championship <laughs> broke a couple boosters' brains in half, and uh, I think they are they are starting to realize that this is what college football is. We're going to actually talk about that a little bit. Um, towards the end of this podcast and, and, and how that's changed. But, um, you know, the, the last thing that I'll, I'll just say about Heartline versus Walden is that I, I do think that the expectations for Heartline were much higher coming in just because he was a guy that had played the position oh, previously sure, yeah. at Ohio State at a high level. 
obviously had his own run of NFL mm-hmm. success. I, I think that the expectations when he came in were that he was going to be someone that was going to be very effective. Right. I don't think anybody anticipated that Walton was going to have this like no. comparable level of success to Heartline uh, recruiting defensively. I don't think people know that it's Tim kind Walton of, went to I, Ohio State. <laughs> well, I, well, my point is I think it just shocks a lot of people that he's been able to be so effective with so many high-level recruits so quickly. Right. With Heartline, it was kind of easier to illustrate that and paint that picture, particularly – because of the year-over-year success Ohio State had had offensively even before he was on staff. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, for for the defense to be where it was like two years ago and then for Walton to come in and, like, you know, it's one thing to have the, the on-field success that they've had, but then to, you know, kind of really, really put this unit in a position where you can potentially be looking at it in – one or two years if you're not right now as a return to its coveted BIA status. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if anybody thought that Walton was going to be able to do it as quickly as he has, or at least put them in a position to do it as quickly as he has. So I think that's probably part of the reason why this is a conversation is that people are so like shocked by how good Walton has been that it it has now put it in a position where it's fair to ask, is he the best recruiter on the right. team? And I think one thing that uh, Walton and, and Hartline do have in common is extensive NFL experience. And, and you know, obviously with Hartline uh, through his playing career, but if you look at Tim Walton's you know coaching history, I mean, he's he's been in the league for, uh, he had been in the league for a long time. Um, and, you know, a long time, meaning like over a decade. But in the coaching world, that's that's a decent amount of clout to bring with you to the college ranks. And I think that that certainly does not hurt his pitch to recruits, right? Like I was an NFL coach. I know how to get you there. I know how to like, you know, coach you up and, and make you a, you know, a, a multimillionaire in the league. So I can imagine he walked into Heartline's office and was like, how do I do what you That's do, right. but for the defense, right. let me be the Heartline, let said, me be the Brian Hartline. Sit down, young pupil. Let me show you the That's ways. Right. Uh, real quick. So this is, you know, not confirmed. And I think there's a lot of smoke to it and there's probably some fire. Uh, but Bill O'Brien, uh, beloved Ohio state offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien, the, you know, the darling of all the fans, um, looks like he's a pretty strong candidate for the Boston college head coaching job. Now there's, uh, some familial, uh, concerns there with, uh, Bill O'Brien Ryan Day screaming Halfley yes. at the sky. That's right. right yeah, now. Jeff Halfley uh, dipped out of BC to be the uh, defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Good for him. Gross. Uh, that's right. Uh, and then uh, that opens up the door for Bob to uh, to roll on over to uh, Boston. And you know, he's there are medical concerns within his family where being in Boston would definitely be uh, you know I think attractive for him. Although, you know, Columbus similarly has really good hospitals and medical facilities. But anyway, you know, I think it's been interesting watching the Internet deciding whether or not they should be clowning on Ohio State for this or not. But, um, you know, I was pretty meh when he was hired. Like, okay, it's not terrible. It's not great. But it's It's a safe. It's a safe hire. Whatever. It's fine. And him leaving isn't ideal because it disrupts things like recruiting and fundraising and blah, blah, blah. But also, uh, I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think it's 
you know, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it in early February as opposed to like, you know, March or April or May or whatever. I, I just hope that we kept tabs on everybody that was like throwing a piss fit when he did get hired because I want to see how many of those same people would be like, Bill O'Brien is a traitor. How could he do this to Ohio State? That's right. How dare you? Bob, I've, you have soiled the Buckeye brand right. with your your lack of loyalty. Right. Um, yeah, so I don't know what's going to happen with it, but you know, if if he ends up going to BC, more power to him, and he proved that he can be a good college coach. Um, and it would it'd be nice to see him have success. I, I would certainly not wish him any ill will, but I also think it'd be interesting to see Ryan Day's approach at you know finding somebody else. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but you know. Uh, I would be okay with experience. I would also be okay with innovation. And I, I think the problem with innovation is that you risk, um, you risk grabbing for the really shiny object in front of your face where somebody's like, Oh, I'm the next, you know, uh, God, who was the guy at LSU, right. That like blew up with, uh, I'm the next Joe, Joe Brady. Yeah, I'm the next Joe Brady. Joe Brady. Right. Here's, here's my, here's my flashy presentation. Here's my, here's my PowerPoint about how I'm going to transform your quarterback into, you know, Joe Burrow and throw for 5,000 yards. I, I think that's a problem because there's a lot of guys who try to sell themselves as that. Well, isn't he, is, he's the Panthers offensive coordinator, isn't he? I don't, I, I think, think he was at least recently. I don't know if he still is, but people like, the shine is off him you know what i mean like oh no 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 he's 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 the buffalo bills offensive coordinator he was the he was the oc for the panthers in 2020 and 2021 but now he's with now he's with buffalo Buffalo. right so my point is though is that i think there are a lot of guys who are trying to sell themselves as the next joe brady and you have to be cautious about that kind of crap because they're going to gas themselves up and say like they've got this great idea to you know revolutionize Oh, I, you know, football offenses. And that's, I don't know that that's really what this team wants or needs. No, I mean, Brady's Brady's brand was built on, you know, Burroughs Heisman campaign. Right. And even the year exactly. like that Burrow had an LSU before he won the Heisman trophy, Brady was not a household name as he gradually became over the course of that right. season. Exactly. So it, you know, it, a lot of it has to be built on the success the the I I hope Bill O'Brien sticks around because when I I don't think that this is as much of an innovation concern within Ohio State's offense. I think that there's a lot of uh, different things that we see that uh, you know that Ryan Day has this team doing depending on what kind of talent the backfield has available to mm-hmm. it. My the bigger concern that every we've been talking about and most fans have been pointing to is wanting Ryan Day to delegate authority to make his own job easier right so that he's not being the head coach and the play caller and the CEO and you know the passing game coordinator or whatever he's just got to you know he could just be the high level guy and Bill O'Brien is someone that of like all the other candidates that you could think of for the offensive coordinator job at Ohio State that is a guy that you can point to and say you feel comfortable delegating to that right. guy because he's worked higher level jobs at higher levels of football than right. this. I don't necessarily know who, if Bill O'Brien leaves, is better for fulfilling that need for this staff 
than the guy that they have right now. So in that sense, I don't want him to leave. I'll understand if he chooses to just because of the opportunity and what you explained relative to, uh, you know, wanting to be there for his family um, in a more immediate capacity. But I, I would think that there's not going to be a better candidate out there that you feel comfortable delegating authority to than someone like Bill O'Brien. So I hope he sticks around, but it remains to be seen. Although we should say most of the speculation has been uh, fueled by message boards relative to, uh, you know, whether O'Brien's going to go or not. I know there was a late report after a couple, I I think a couple days after the rumors started swirling that he's supposedly their main target, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how things shake out. I'm sure there's mutual interest, but any, any time that I, I know the message board guys have had a big, big off season <laughs> and I'm not just talking about Ohio state, you know, they've been, they've been blowing these NIL stories all over the place, right. but we, we saw plenty of, we saw plenty of speculation about how Michigan was going to get the book thrown at them mm-hmm. too. And, uh, you know, we see how that went. So just take it for a grain of salt. Anytime you see, uh, you know, yeah. The, the Nevada Bucks of well, the world, and we're, you know, telling you what their inside scoop is. That's right. Is. And we're recording this on Sunday night. So if on, you know, Monday morning it turns out that he's peacing out, uh, please disregard the last uh, 10 minutes of our conversation. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the top post <laughs> in the us. 11 Warriors forum right now is B.O.B. could be shipping up to Boston for what that's it's right. worth. So it seems like fans are pretty scared. That's right. But, you know. We'll see. Sold your breath. Uh, okay, so that was uh, you know just kind of the the current stuff with Ohio State sports. Let's go ahead and get us to uh, ask us anything. Before we do that, we remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at Eleven Warriors dot com. Dry Goods dot Eleven Warriors dot com. Shirts, hats, stickers. Go ahead and check them out. They're great. Um, ask us anything, which you can do by sending us a question to Dubcast at Eleven Warriors dot com. Uh, likes to answer. I mean, we'll answer literally any question. And this question here from Joshua F is a great example of it. Uh, how much time do you spend thinking about how you look in public? Sometimes I swear that I forget what I look like until I see my reflection. Are you, are you self caught? You live in, you're in, you're in Miami. This is a very, it's a very, very image conscious yes. city down here. How do you uh, deal with that? I think that would freak me out to a certain extent. Well, no, I mean, listen, I... I mean, you're a well-put-together guy. You're a good-looking dude. Like, Oh, you Yeah, but I'm just saying in general, like, I mean, you know, is that some of that influenced by... Yeah, because, I mean, look, I used to to be over 250 pounds. Mm -hmm. And, like, listen, I I get treated differently now than when I was heavy. Like, and, you know, there's some people that don't want to admit that. There's a lot of... But a lot of women will say that they treat, you know, people the or guys the the same regardless of what it it just I, I can tell it's you everybody. That it's, my, it's unfortunate. It, it's it's the perception that people have of me now is significantly different than when I had basically given up and not given a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it's really a stark contrast and it's in some ways it's something that I have trouble grappling with, but I'll say too that like you know, just as an example of something that's even recent to this year, I was kind of having like, you know, I, I was having some kind of recurring adult acne issue with like the area of my beard. And because of that, I was like making a point of not like 
shaving my beard to like cover it mm, up. Yeah. So I was even like image conscious of that in terms of like trying to hide what I was perceiving to be like a, a dermatology issue. But I, I, and so this, like within the last year for the first time since I've been able to like grow a full beard and because I've lost a lot of weight, I've become more comfortable with like shaving every other day, mm. at least to keep my, my face more clean and intact. And my skin has improved as a result. And so I've, it, it, it's crazy how like I, I have like a, a three or four, you know, tiered skin routine process now that like starts in the shower that I wouldn't have been doing before. Now I'm not on some like, you know, American psycho face peeling <laughs> craziness, but you know, I could do it. I do a thousand crunches Patrick every morning. With my, is, uh, yeah, exactly. Telling us his beauty tip. Uh, yeah, but I will say I I'm more image conscious than I used to right. be, and I don't think that you you know I, I no I think it's I'm not going to say that it's important, but I'm not I won't chastise anybody for thinking yeah. that way because it matter it matters more than any of us want to admit, which I think is unfortunate, but it's also a no, reality. and I think you're right about that. And, and honestly, I think the older you get, the more you become aware of certain things too, and and like oh well. And Johnny, you're still the sexiest librarian in Columbus. Well, I'll I'll make that argument. I always have to point out. I'm not actually a librarian, but I will say uh, my perspective on this is slightly skewed because of my jobs that I've had throughout my career. So I'm an educator, right? And so I work with kids. I've worked with kids my entire my entire adult career, like ever since, I mean, even before that. I, I did extensive tutoring. Well, not tutoring. I, did, I volunteered. I, I just helped kids in after-school programs, stuff like that. I did that since I was like 16. And um, kids... <laughs> will roast you for everything and so there's there's a certain um i think there's a certain like equilibrium that you have to reach where you're like okay i have to like care about kind of how i dress and how i look and stuff like that to an extent uh but you can't also let yourself get in the headspace that's like well i have to do this or the kids are gonna like make fun of me. like at a certain point you have to be like you know what? I don't care what these kids say. <laughs> like, screw them. I want to do what I want and I want to feel comfortable. But also you can't like go whole hog on that because then you'll never hear the end of it. And then it's like insane. So you have to like find this balance between uh, what's acceptable to you as a person, what you feel comfortable with. And then also like, you know, what's not going to get you roasted by team. Zoomers are very, very image they conscious. Are. My my mother was telling me a few weeks ago, she was stunned that she went to the salon and she saw some young boys getting perms. Oh, you know, that's the, that's, that's that's the, that's the thing that they do now. Right. So, and also, you know, my job is, again, I, I've always worked with the public and, and, you know, always had to like meet people and stuff. And I don't know, at a certain point, like when I was a kid and, and you know, even in my teenage years, like whatever, I don't give a crap. But as I've gotten older, I think, I mean, I think you're right. I think it's something that you do have to kind of unfortunately deal with uh, the older you get. And it's, yeah. And I, I don't want to sound like some braggadocious Miami douchebag <laughs> as I'm talking. Cause again, I, no, I want to make the, the point. I, in, I was right? like, well, I was in, I, I started out actually like my freshman year at college, I got into great shape because I, I could go to the art pack for oh, free. Sure, yeah. So I was in there five days a week. I was in the pool Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then, you know, running on the other off days or no, I would lift on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then, you know, kind of because of living with myself and I had some other like kind of bad things happen. And I just kind of got to a position where I was like, I I don't really give a shit anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, you know, really 
I did let myself go for several years up until I was probably around like 25. So I haven't, you know, as I'm, I'm, I'm bragging about the way I'm perceived down here in Miami relative to Columbus. I, I mean, I've really only been in that for like two or three years relative to the rest of the time I've been around. So it's, it's never too late to turn yourself around from wherever you think, you know, too far yeah. is. Cause I've, I've been in a bad spot in high school, a great spot early in college, and then a terrible spot in early adulthood. And then as I've just turned 30 a few months ago, I feel like I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. So it's, there you go. whoever's listening to this, regardless of how you feel about yourself, it's never too late to put the work in to, uh, and the discipline to, you know, if you really want to make a difference and any, anybody is capable of it. Absolutely. Anybody. I'm, I'm very firm believer in that. And I'm a reflection of it as well. I agree with that. And it's, and you know, ultimately it's about how you feel about yourself and like, you know what, if other people, like if you're comfortable with who you are, then good, then that's the goal, right? No matter what it is, that's the goal. It's, it's not, it's not about how you look, it's how you feel. And, um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, okay, so this one's from Ken, and this is kind of reflecting our earlier conversation about um, uh, Chris Holtman, but this is an interesting perspective. So Ken uh, says that he's been saying for the last few years, Holtman is not the answer, so have I. Uh, Smith made a big mistake for keeping him, rating him excellent for his review was a huge mistake. Uh, he says it takes him to things off the court as well. How the hell do those things help you win games? Uh, so in other words, he's kind of roasting Gene Smith a little bit for being complicit and kind of like, you know, keeping this, this thing going, which I don't think is a terrible point. I kind of, I kind of see his perspective on this, honestly. That's why I think he needs to just kind of butt out relative to whatever happens at the end of the season. I don't think that he should be, I don't, I don't know what the language on, I mean, it's possible Holtman's contract isn't he? I, 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 I'm not going to pretend to know the specifics, right. but I think the buyout's if, pretty extensive, but it, I mean, it's not like they couldn't pay it. Okay. But it's not expiring at the end of this year to the point where they would need to like re up on right, him. If right, they're, right. You know, if they're going to let him go. They're going to, they're going to have to fire him. And I think that that decision, if the contract isn't up is one that should fall to Bjork mm-hmm. and not Gene. Gene needs to butt out which we talked about last week, but the thing that I'm, I'm again, worried about with that is with Gene Smith, this being his last six months in the athletic director role, how, how invested in Holtman is he relative to the legacy that he's leaving on the way out? Right. Because if he's, if his ego is too wrapped up in that, then he's probably going to be in a position where, he might try to give Holtman some leash that he doesn't necessarily deserve. And, you know, I, I, we made the point last week talking about the transition of power. You want to empower the new athletic director to determine the trajectory of the program with his own decision-making rather than having to live with a decision that you made because you just want to preserve your own image yeah, on the way that's, out. That's an so excellent I, point. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% agreeing with that. It is something where I think Russ Bjork's going to have to put a stamp on it because, yeah, you're right. You don't want to saddle the incoming guy with you know, a bad choice. Um, okay, this one's from Joshua F. What are your biggest I'm still not over it moments as an Ohio State fan? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, 
I, I I'm trying to keep this away from like any Michigan answers. Oh, I have a very I mean, specific answer, last... and I, to me, it was like like not formative because I'd been a fan for a long time at this point. But I think it's I think it has influenced my attitude ever since because I was so furious yeah. and pissed off. So, uh, you know, I was a student at Ohio State in 2006. I was a senior uh, for my undergrad at that point, um, and I like. You know, I went to every game. Um, I basically was convinced that Troy Smith was just a wizard and, you know, third and 20. I don't care. They're converting it. Who cares? Like, it's like I was so convinced. I was at that game in Ann Arbor. Yeah. When, oh, no, that was third and 11. When yeah, yeah, that was 2005. That. So 2000, 2006. Yeah. Oh, no, that's fine. Well, because 2006 was the championship run. And then I was there for the 1v2 right. game. And I'm like, High State's got this in the bag. Like, I had no no doubt in my mind that the Buckeyes were not only going to win the national championship, but be hailed as like one of the greatest college football teams of all time. Like that was my, I was dead ass certain that this was a 100% uh, probability of happening where they were going to go ahead and just win the national championship. It would cement, you know, Jim Trestle is the greatest coach ever, blah, blah, blah. And I was so, so like into that mentality during the entire season um that you know i just thought the the national championship game was going to be this coronation and they had a viewing party for the national championship game at the shot and i went there with my roommate who i was you know really good friends with and so we're like yeah man like we're super excited about it we're having a great time everybody's awesome and then that opening kickoff and you know ted ginn takes it back for a touchdown and you're like okay and then it's like oh but he's out for the game we're like it doesn't matter they're still and then of course they get annihilated we leave at halftime. Uh, we're like, we're not staying here in the shot. This is stupid. We go back to uh, where we're at, you know, our, our, our apartment, our dorm room, whatever. It's kind of like a hybrid thing we had. Uh, we part- turned it on the background because we couldn't bear just to not watch it, but we also couldn't bear to look at it. <laughs> so we had it on, but like we refused to actually like watch it. Yeah. And honestly, man, like ever since then, I mean, Ohio State went back to the national championship game, right? Against LSU, like shortly thereafter. But Ever since then, even in 2014, I just could not bear to let myself get that excited ever again about the possibility of Ohio State winning a national championship. Oh, I get it because I was so burned. I thought they were. I thought they were going to lose in 2014, honestly, because Mariota was a killer. I mean, people forget. Oh that. yeah, no, it was, was it was kind of an upset, honestly. That Ohio. I mean, it was an upset. Ohio State was the fourth ranked team in the college football yeah. playoff. They. People were stunned they got into. Well, they were. I mean, they were like, I forget what I think. I forget what the line was against Alabama, but they weren't. It wasn't close. Like, well, Bama was one. I mean, right. But that's my point. Right, they weren't expected to take out either of those teams, and so I was like, there and under no circumstances where I allow myself to believe. Right, like I am going to because I've been burned so badly, and I honestly like. I still feel that way. Even if Ohio State, you know, they get to a national championship game, they're playing like a team, you know, that loses its starting quarterback, running back, offensive line, you know, and they're down to like, a, you know, like a walk on trying to play, you know, uh, you know, tackle or something like that. Um, I'm still not going to be. I, I just I won't allow myself to be to enjoy it to that extent that I did um, prior to uh, the 2006 national championship game because I just had. Zero doubts. Zero doubts. Hey, you're a, you're a guarded skeptic. That's yeah. fine. Um, I thought you were going to make the point, like in terms of a biggest what if that, like, what if Ted Ginn Jr. didn't get hurt in that national championship game? Because for a I while, that's mattered. what mine was. 
the fact that again when that that was back during the sec speed narrative and it's like oh the fastest guy on the field is actually on ohio state it's like what if they still have him you know do you feel as comfortable sending the house on troy smith every time if you know you've still got that guy who scored on you on the first play can potentially beat you over the top anytime he wants I think it's a very, very different game if Ted Ginn Jr. is available. I think him getting hurt and being out probably rattled the confidence of the offense pretty bad. Yeah, I, Ted Ginn didn't play uh, uh, offensive tackle. so. Like, oh, but again, if you I mean, have your best playmaker on the field no, for that, but can the offense stay on the field a little longer to the point where the defense isn't exhausted trying to hold up 41 points from Florida. I don't know. I think it's a very fair argument. I, I think, I don't know. I, I, I think the game is at least closer. Oh, it's closer. Both in terms of how many points Ohio State scores and Florida scoring less if Ted Ginn is it's available. It's closer, but I, I think, absolutely they, I think they still that. lose by two touchdowns in that game. It, it's, they were, that offensive line was getting annihilated on every play. It, it, it had nothing my to, biggest, yeah. Go ahead. My biggest what if actually like relative to something similar that you were saying is that you thought that, you know, they were that team and 06 was supposed to go down as one of the best teams in college football mm-hmm. history. Had they won the national championship, it's very possible that they would have held that perception. Oh, sure. That was my feeling about the 2015 team. Mm, yeah. And you remember that game after the Virginia tech game where every touchdown was a style points TD Braxton made his debut at receiver and had the greatest spin move we've ever seen in a college football game. I remember Danny Cannell saying on ESPN, they're going to go down as one of the best college football teams of all time. Because you're like, every game is going to be like this. Like they're just going to stun on dudes the entire season. And then Michigan state happened. Well, and And if Ezekiel Elliott isn't in the hospital that week and they feel more comfortable actually running the Mm -hmm. ball. And if, you know, they had like very unsung, a uh, moment of that game that uh, does not get highlighted a lot is that on that last drive where they kicked the field goal to win, Ohio State had a chance to stop Michigan State on fourth and short. And the reason Michigan State reco- or converted is because Joey Bosa got a a, a flabbergasting offsides penalty yeah. on fourth and short. Yeah. And it never gets talked about in the legacy of all the stuff that guy has mm-hmm. done for Ohio state that never gets pointed out. So if those two things don't happen and they're able to beat Michigan state and we saw what they did to Michigan the next week, I, that was the last game I ever saw as a student in person. And I was like, Oh, happy day. This is great. I'm, I'm in a sea of Michigan fans watching them get absolutely massacred. They ran Ohio state ran for like 350 yards <laughs> the game after they lost to right. Michigan state. Right. It's like if they had just been able to do that the week prior, that team very, very much likely goes to the playoff and wins. They killed Sam Darnold's USC team in the bowl game. That wasn't even close. That game was... It's yeah. unbelievable that they didn't get to make the playoff. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. And, and if they are in, they I think they have a very good shot at making a run and they go down as one of the best teams in college football history. But... That one game ends up completely just wiping them from history. Although to that other point during the season, it's like, why did you guys start Cardale over? Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, So a lot of what ifs from that season. Those are, 
those are all of them. yeah i think that's fair uh okay so this last one here is from kevin uh the men's basketball team is not worthy of common except to say lebron james should be the next head coach <laughs> that's not going to happen i'm sorry <laughs> uh got a better chance of bringing fat i know um is is brian hartline still around what's his role nowadays uh i appreciate i appreciate the comments uh kevin so that's that's ask us anything um uh keep sending in those questions we'll keep answering them dubcast at 11 warriors.com before we get out of here a couple quick items archie griffin's getting a statue at the rose bowl that's cool he played in four of them that's crazy, yeah, man. Yeah, four Rose Bowls is pretty nuts. Uh, it kind of sucks that he was only like one in three, I think, in those Rose Bowls, but still performed very, very well in all of them. But pretty awesome that he gets his own statue out there. Uh, awkward that another Big Ten team will have another player's statue in front of their stadium a little bit. That, that, and that, like, that, like, if you're a UCLA fan, like, I can kind of under, I haven't heard a lot of blowback about this, but I think, because, you know, it's important for us as Ohio State fans to consider outside perspective. And I, I do think it's a little weird that they're doing it's a little this. Weird. It feels a little bit, there's right, a couple blocks down the street from me is uh, where the Miami Heat play. And they're infamous for, retiring jerseys of of players that don't necessarily have anything to do with the Miami Heat. They were the first team to other than the Bulls to retire Michael Jordan's jersey. And when Pat Riley <laughs> did it, he made the point of saying that Michael Jordan's jersey should be retired across the league in every stadium. It's not Jackie and I don't Robinson. Think, what? <laughs> I don't think every I don't think that has been followed on since, but not 23. That's why LeBron had to wear six when he came down here because 23 is retired by the Miami now, Heat from Michael that. Jordan. I thought it was. It's a that's it's a little weird. That's extremely it's weird. a little weird when. But that's again, that's pro versus college. And Archie at least has more connection to the Rose Bowl, yeah, 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 yeah. as you've alluded to. than Michael Jordan has the heat. But that's hilarious. Point remains. <laughs> and, 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 he, and the other irony, too, is that I believe UCLA spoiled archie griffin's senior season mm, yeah did they not they beat because they beat ohio state twice or at least the second time mm, when they played i can't remember exactly how that worked out but yeah it was something like that but so yeah so i mean if you're a ucla fan i will understand if you have some type of feelings about uh you know this this anointing of archie griffin but as ohio state fans you know it's cool to see that guy's legacy uh more exalted than i think it perhaps gets especially because it feels like we're every year we're just kind of agonizingly waiting like, Oh, is this going to be the year that, you know, Archie's no longer the only two time Heisman trophy winner. And we're, you know, wiping the sweat from our brow just about every time, but it's an award that, you know, quarterbacks younger and younger are winning it. And, you know, it seems like a lot of them lately have had a chance to come and win a second one. Caleb Williams being the most recent example, even though it didn't necessarily work out for them. Right. So it'll I, happen uh, eventually. You know. I mean, it's and, and Archie's been very gracious about right. that and, and saying that, you know, whatever. If it happens, it happens. But um So we have to appreciate the guy while he's around. But I think this will, you know, in some ways maybe help him be seen more on a national scale. It'd be cool in in Rose Bowls going forward as, you know, they're kind of panning through and they'll do the Rose Parade and whatever. But now I think you'll see them you know, you'll see the camera on Archie's statue uh, every time before and during the game. And that'll uh, it's cool to have his legacy kind yeah. of tied to that. And I think also as we're, 
you know, as we're preparing to enter this new era of college football, where, you know, they're the, the tradition, a lot of the traditions are beginning to erode. And I think now that the Rose bowl is no longer the classic big 10 champion versus PAC 12 champion showdown that it always used to be, this statue is a nice way of immortalizing yeah, that. Yeah. So I, agree with that. I, I, all around, I think I feel good about it. Just keep in mind, maybe not everyone else will be as jazzed. Right. Um, so also, we've got uh, Michael out there tearing it up at the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, it's cool to see that. But also, I think some people are like, oh, it's, it's, you're destroying a uh, Michigan offensive lineman. That's, that's cool. Maybe maybe could have done that a month ago or so. I don't know. Uh, the other big item of note, and I think this is something that people will – continue to be talking about. And I, I think it reflects the reality of college football. It's, it's probably a larger discussion for another day, but the SEC and the big 10 have formed this like advisory group, um, which essentially I think, first of all, it's, it's the precursor to this idea of that you have these two like mega conferences, right? Where it's this, they're, they're going to control the landscape of, of college sports and, and specifically college football. Uh, but also, I think it's saying it's kind of a threat to the NCAA. Like, get your, you know, get your act together, get your handle around the NIL stuff, or we're essentially going to go off on our own and, and make our own rules. And um, I don't know if that's a possibility in the near future, but given how, co- you know, college football consolidation has kind of progressed in the past 10 or 15 years, I mean, in five or 10 years, I wouldn't be surprised if. You know, maybe I mean maybe the NCAA doesn't exist as a uh, you know appreciable force in college football. Maybe it's not even you know a factor. So uh, I, I think the SEC and the Big Ten forming this advisory committee is it's kind of flexing their muscle a little bit and saying you know hey we've we've got just as much clout, just as much influence on what rules should be formed and and how they should be enforced as any other governing body, uh, and that includes the NCAA. And frankly, I don't know what the NCAA does about that. So, well, the interesting parallel that I draw with it is something that just happened with uh, the UFC recently, which I, I'm not sure how many people that aren't actively like paying attention to combat sports are aware of. But, you know, USADA, who, you know, had been this big uh, you know, governing body, if you want to call it, in terms of regulation relative to performance enhancing drugs and regularly testing all of the athletes that are are competing in that pool, the UFC let their contract run out with USADA at the end of last year. And they're no longer testing regularly the UFC's athletes. And what the UFC has done is effectively created their own body for like policing themselves for this stuff. Mm -hmm. So they've, they've, and, and I think a big part of the reason is because there was some, you know, when you've got a third party like that, that can kind of be, obstructing business opportunities and the biggest example is like conor mcgregor not being able to fight last year um and probably not getting approved to do so until you know even or if they had still been with usada the likelihood was that mcgregor probably wasn't going to be able to fight until uh june of of this year Mm -hmm. and they're trying to get him on the card for ufc 300 the parallel i'm drawing here between the ncaa is you're seeing the decision makers for these conferences are are saying we want to be in control of our own future, especially while we have this wild West moment with NIL, where not necessarily everything is hashed out. We want to be in control of setting the, the fate 
we want to be in control of our own destiny in this sport. And so even though we are, you know, competing conferences, we recognize that the NCAA is as a third party, even though it's more of an umbrella, I think, than maybe what USADA has relative to the UFC, but you still had this situation where the UFC was like 50% of USADA's business. And now they're in a position where they have been significantly weakened Mm -hmm. as a, as a brand because the UFC has abandoned them. And if you have these two major conferences that make up the bulk of the, the TV ratings in college football, remove themselves from the NCAA, you're going to see a similar uh, evaporation of power, I think. And, I, I I really would not be surprised if this, as you had just alluded to, ends up coming to fruition in the next five to ten years because the opportunity for them to be in control of their own destiny and make more money as a result of it is so much more appealing than working within the framework of what what the NCAA is gonna is gonna establish for right. them. So this even though it sounds far fetched right now. The people that are actually running the sport directly are looking at it as a business opportunity where the less oversight you have, the more opportunity and money there is to be made. So I think this is a very, very realistic thing that could happen within the next five to ten years. Certainly merits a bigger discussion as more of the uh, the framework begins to fall into place. But it's it's certainly an interesting development relative to other things I've seen across the sports world in the last few months. Yep, 100%. And we'll see what, it, like, you know, it's, it's, this is one of those things that's going to play out over the course of a long time, but I think you're starting to see the the seeds of it now. So we'll see how that goes. And, um, you know, as you just pointed out, there's, there's precedent for this in other sports. So that is the dubcast for this week. We'll, uh, we'll keep, you know, <laughs> We'll keep bagging on the men's Ohio State basketball team uh, and celebrating the women's team uh, and also informing you about all the other uh, comings and goings of Ohio State sports. Uh, so we'll got to do a Dragon Ball Z outro. Will Chris Holtman <laughs> get a road win before Ohio State's season next ends? Next time on. Find out next time on the on 11, the 11 Dumbcast. Oh, we are desperate over oh here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Eleven dubs. All right. Anyway, <laughs> we'll see you next week. I'm Johnny. I'm George. Take care, folks.